the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Today, Marius asked me to continue and basically finish the last bit of Titus. We've been hearing Murray speak on Titus 1 and 2 over the last two weeks, and today I'll be finishing with Titus 3. I'm going to start somewhere else, and then I'll move into Titus. The main message of Titus 3 is to do good. It's a very, very easy message to understand. Do good. Now, Romans 12, verse 2, teaches us the following. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And paraphrased, this is quite often referred to as, we are in this world, but not of it. The, the meaning of this is very, very basic. It is us resisting the way of life that is happening around us, but being converted in how we think and for that then to filter through into how we act through the word of God and according to his will, which is always good and perfect. We strive for a alteration of our mind brought on by this change that the Holy Spirit enacts within us and because the Holy Spirit is constantly nudging us and prompting us and moving us and convincing us to to live a life that reflects the goodness of God that reflects his will for our lives and the grace and the love that God has for each and every one of us. In turn, through the nudging of the Holy Spirit, that prompting that he's constantly telling us, no, Ivy, not this. Yes, Ivy, do this. Do good, Ivy, do good. We are we're changed little by little, drop by drop, step by step, to become a little bit more like Jesus every day. And I hope that will be all of our desires in our heart, is to become just a little bit more like Jesus in every step that we take. And then the challenge for us is for that inward change to then move outwards into the things that we say and do. If you think about it, we live in a world where swearing and blasphemy is just the norm. And you just said, Jeremy, gossip. But with the grace of God, we watch our tongues and we try not to swear and to blaspheme and to gossip. And we live in a world where people are quite often in it for themselves. And, and they'll do anything to get ahead, including stabbing you in the back. And we try and live our lives in ways that is the opposite of that. We help out. We lift up. We empower. We pray for others. We even do it for people that would never do it for us. We live in a world where, especially at the moment, we see horrific devastation 
our country after the cyclone has so much hurt, spiritual hurt, mental hurt, physical hurt. And, and then within all of that, we hear of people that loot and steal and take the little that other people have left. And yet we would rather go and reach within the resources, how limited or abundant it might be, to rather share those resources. We are in this world, but our lifestyle, the choices we make in honor of the God that we serve are the things that are the opposite of what the world around us is doing. Our lives and our lifestyles are the things that set us apart. We are in this world, but we are not of it. Now, when we look at what Paul wrote to Titus, we can see a similar thought pattern that he develops there. Paul counseled Titus to teach the saints righteous examples, that was covered in chapter 1, and then about the hope and redemption that we have in Jesus Christ in chapter 2. And like I said, chapter 3 is very easy. Do good. Short and sweet. But all the while, throughout all three chapters, Paul is constantly giving kind of the opposing evidence of what the sinful people of Crete were doing. And then in contrast, he gives us what Christians should be doing. Chapter 1 and 2, they're not very long, I think 15 and 16 verses. Chapter 3 is kind of the same, it's just about 15 verses. It's really short and easy. And I would like to read that for you. But before I do, I want to kind of just focus your attention on one word. It starts with the word remind. Now, the original Greek word used for the word remind, it's a bit of a mouthful. Um, <laughs> yeah, it reads, hupomenasiko. I had to practice that about 20 times to be able to say it. Hupomenasiko. Uh, it is written as an active participle, so it's something that is a doing word, an active word, and it is written in the present continuous tense, meaning it's not just a once-off thing. It is something that we do again and again and again. This remind is a continuous process whereby we are to remind each other about things that Paul is writing about. Now, the full translation of hup om inasiko actually means to remember something because you were prompted to do so. And through this, we are then encouraged to do both the remembering but also the reminding. So we end up on both sides of that coin. Now, for those that have Bibles, oh, we used to belong to a church many, many years back ago in South Africa. And um, our pastor used to say, so all the Christians take out the Bibles, the rest listen to me. So anyone that's got a Bible, <laughs> you are welcome to read with me. And the rest you can listen. Okay. Now, within this very short chapter, Paul talked about the fact that we need to do good, not once, not twice, but three times. So saved in order to do good. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, 
to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish and disobedient, deceitful and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, this is important, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having, just, having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to do what is good. Second time. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because they are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, then warn them a second time, and after that have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful and are self-condemned. Strong words. As soon as I sent Artemis and Tychias to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I've decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good, third time, in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith, and grace be with you all. Chapter 3. Paul really seems to be emphasizing this, do whatever is good. Like I said in verse 1, to be ready to do whatever is good. Verse 8, those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves, not just do it, but devote yourselves to do what is good. And again in verse 14, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. Now, even though we know that good works is not what gives us our salvation. Paul earlier was very specific about this. We also know that once we are saved from within our salvation, almost as, as a thank you to God, us honoring his goodness, our lives should reflect his goodness. And we do that by doing good. Remember Paul said in verse 5, kindness but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He clearly insists that salvation only comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. But right after insisting that this is an absolute truth, he still stresses the fact that we need to do good. Not just do good, but devote ourselves to doing good. And I thought, well, if Paul thinks that doing good is this important, 
maybe we should look into it a little bit and just you know, figure out what it is that, that he wants us to do. Now, he's listed a bunch of things throughout Titus 1 and 2 and 3 of what Christians should be doing and the things that we should be avoiding. But, um, you know, being a Christian means a whole lot more than just Titus 1, 2, and 3. So I thought, well, let's quickly go and have a look and see what we can find out. The original Greek word that was used for good, which is in verse 1, is different than the words used for the next two verses. In the first one where Paul writes to Titus to remind people to do whatever is good, the word for good is named agathon. It is a primary base word, which basically means it is what it is. You don't have to read anything into it. Good is good. That's the opposite of bad. Good is good, the opposite of evil. And pretty much anyone knows what it means to be good. See how happy it is to be good. So the first instance of the word good, agathon, is a very easy one for us to understand. It's basically do that which makes God happy. Don't do the things that's going to make him sad. Very basic, very easy. And yet, he still opens with that one. He still starts with stay away from the bad thing, which kind of tells us that even though it is a very basic principle of how we should live our lives, that we still need to be reminded about it from time to time. And that we should sometimes be, you know, gutsy enough to remind someone else about it as well. The second and third instance of the word good refers to the things that is not quite as blatantly obvious, but these are the things that still set us apart from the world that we live in. In verses 8 and 14, the Greek word is kalon. Now, kalon has two different meanings. The one is to be virtuous or morally correct in your acts. And the other one is to do beautiful acts. Now, according to the Oxford Dictionary, virtuous implies the fact that you are of excellent character, which, you know, kind of sounds like a, a bit of a steep, steep hill to climb. Excellent character. The Bible refers to it as practical attitudes and habits that we adopt in obedience to godly principles. And some of the examples that we have got here is, let's quickly see, there we go. Honesty, courage, compassion, generosity. I thought I could read there, but no, not, not at this age anymore, I'll have to read here. Uh, generosity, faithfulness, fairness, self-control, patience, diligence, humility, charity and love, to name a few. If you go through the Bible and you start writing them all down, I think you're going to need a very, very thick book. There are many more, but this gives us an idea of what virtuous and morally correct acts might look like. And we are encouraged to outlive these in our daily lives. Now, once again, if we do this and we do it consistently, 
out of love for our Savior, not because it's going to get us anywhere, but purely because we love him. And it's a way for us to show God that we do. It does set us apart from the world around us. Now, most of these things take a little bit of time and a little bit of work. I mean, you don't just suddenly wake up one day and you're diligent. It would be lovely if it was that easy. But diligence is something we cultivate. We work at it. We, we put a bit of effort into it again and again, day by day, until one day you've done it so consistently, so repeatedly, that it becomes part of who you are and you are a diligent person. Now, we're not suddenly generous because we're saved. We have to work against our selfish nature and dig into our resources and share that. And sometimes it might be that we start with sharing our time, sharing our prayers, sharing a box of wheat picks. Andy seems to be very favorable of wheat picks. So yes, share the wheat picks. Now the Bible is full of very virtuous traits that we can once again remind ourselves and each other about that we can embody and outlive these things. And we do this once again as an act of obedience and of showing our love to God. And then the next one is where Kalon refers to beautiful acts. And that was, that was an odd one for me. Like, what, what is a beautiful act? Go pick Anna some flowers and say, hey, Anna, here's flowers for you. I mean, that's nice, but is that a beautiful act? I'm, I'm not quite sure. So I really had to go and think about it and read up about it a bit. What, what is beautiful act? So I'm imagining it would be something that 2,000 years ago, the Greeks would have heard it and automatically known what we were referring to. Today, for us, it's like, yeah, I'm not too, too sure what Paul's on about. So when we look at the verses that precedes this, it shines a bit of light onto this rather puzzling reference of doing beautiful acts. In verse 4, we read about the kindness and the love of God, about his mercy, his grace, and the hope that we now have for eternal life. So to be kind to someone that you don't know a complete stranger is a thing of beauty. To smile a smile of encouragement to a mum with a little one that is clearly very upset and being very vocal about that in the middle of countdown. And just, you know, give her a smile. It's like, you're doing okay. They grow up. They don't stop complaining, but they do grow up. <laughs> you know, that that is a thing of beauty. To be graceful under pressure, maybe when you're being verbally attacked at work or on, on the sports field. That is a thing of beauty. To give someone that lives on the street while you're walking in the middle of winter, in the middle of Hamilton center place, to give them your jacket or to buy them a cup of coffee. To bring that unexpected undeserved moment of hope and joy into their lives. That is a thing of beauty. Now these, these acts don't necessarily fall 
into the very clear separation of good versus evil, as the word Agathon teaches us. And they're not necessarily virtuous or morally correct choices to make. I mean, if you didn't buy the guy a cup of coffee, it's not like you're morally suddenly a horrible person. But they are things that, that shows an inner beauty and that also brings a bit of light and love and beauty to the people around us. Acts of beauty, I think, can be the things that sets us apart even more so than, than just simply doing what is right as opposed to what is wrong. People that don't know God know the difference between doing right versus wrong, even if it's just to stay on the good side of the law. They know these things. They teach their children these things. If we only do that, we are not really outliving our faith in any way more spectacular than they are. We are challenged to live our lives in such a way that the way that we go about life, wherever we are, on the sports field, in the street, at work, in our cars, on the motorway, anywhere, to act like Jesus and to show kindness and mercy and love and grace and hope to someone. Those things are indeed acts of beauty. We are in this world, but we are not of it. Now this world can get very busy and very full and very fast. And especially at the moment, it feels like it is very full of tragic loss and hurt in our country with a cyclone coming through in the Ukraine, Russia, Turkey and Syria with the earthquakes. There's a lot of it going on at the moment just here in our community, potentially in our church. We've got people that are really feeling the pinch of the cost of living, the crisis that is affecting everyone. I mean, what you can buy with $100 today, if you just look back a year, it's not the same. And sometimes you might think someone at work is a real grouch, but we don't know if they're just about to lose the house because they can't afford it anymore. So acts of beauty are the things that, that might just make the difference to their life for that one day. We're, we are reminded to not just do these things on the days that it's easy for us, but to continually do them. Not just when we feel like it, but that we continually do them as a honor act towards God. So my challenge for us this week is that we will be purposeful in doing good deeds, doing good acts, choosing right from wrong, choosing the moral standard that God sets for us, and then above that, over and above that, to have acts of beauty where we can shine a bit of light into someone's life. Just make it that tiny, tiny bit better. Let's see if 
we can live our lives in such a way that we think, okay, what would Jesus have done if he was in my shoes right now? And from within that, that we will live and through those actions become the ambassadors that Christ deserves, the type of people that will have people walking through our doors. It's an alteration of our mind, alteration of our spirit, and in the end it is something that we outlive. And we do this not because it brings salvation, but because it is our way of showing God how much we love him and how thankful we are to be saved. It is not always easy. We live in a world that challenges us, that would push us to do the things that are not necessarily morally correct, to do the things that are not always good, but sometimes, well, not evil, but maybe bad, naughty. And sometimes we're the ones in need, you know, of an act of kindness, a beautiful act, something that will brighten our day. But let us take each other's hands and lift each other up and encourage each other and sometimes remind each other to do just that. Please pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for this gorgeous group of people that you bring together here on Sundays, Father, where we can live together, encourage each other, grow in our faith, grow in strength, Father, but that we can also have a heart to know that sometimes, sometimes we falter and we need prompting, and sometimes we can see someone else falter and they might need prompting, but Father, that when we do these things that it Will number one be received well and number two that when we do speak up and we do encourage each other to do good things to do good acts that we will have the words guided by the spirit so that we do no harm but that it is truly said in love father i ask that you please bless each and every one of us that we can inspect our lives, inspect our actions, and see if we are indeed living as Paul was encouraging us to do. Are we doing good? Lord Andy just said earlier that it might not necessarily feel if it's something right here, but there's a lot of hurt going on in our country. What can we do, Father? How can we help? There's people in, in our own community that might have lost people. What can we do? How can we help? People that might go without, be hungry, right here, our neighbors. What can we do? How can we help? Father, guide us. Let your spirit prompt us and nudge us and help us to be obedient to the amazing sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. Father, I pray for everyone in our country, those that have lost everything, those that are in the middle of mud up to their knees. Father, that you will give them the strength and the spirit as a comforter to help them through this difficult time. I also pray, Lord God, for 
everyone in all the different levels of government that they will not just talk, but that they will act and act promptly to bring relief where it's needed. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all you've done for us. In the name of God, Father and Son, Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.